welcome to Green and Red, Scrappy Politics for Scrappy People, a regular podcast on radical, environmental and anti-capitalist politics, brought to you by Bob Bazanka and Scott Parker. Welcome to the silky smooth sounds of the Green and Red podcast. I am your co-host, Scott Parkin, in somewhat sunny Berkeley, California today. And pleased to announce I have a vaccine appointment on my schedule for next week, and I'm pretty psyched about that. And as always, I am joined by... Uh, Bob Bazanko. I'll be getting my second vaccine next week. So I will then go back to uh, Houston after being here back and forth for a while. And it is sunny and snowy today in Ohio. And, uh, you know, I was thinking uh, this morning, this is the first time it's just you and me on a show for a while now. And I think the last one was on the Capitol Hill riots. And today is Good Friday. So that's appropriate because we are going to resurrect that theme and talk about similar stuff. But in the meantime, as always, uh, I am obliged, not by any contract, but out of my heart, to thank all of you. You're for, big. You have a big heart. It's a big heart. I, I, I think so. I, I'm a giver. You know, I'm a giver. <laughs> you are. A giver. I think. I think people tell me I love too much, kind of like you know Henry Kissinger or or, or John Foster Dulles. You know, um, or the recently <laughs> departed G. Gordon Liddy, G. Gordon, <laughs> who was in the greatest TV episode ever, Stone's War in Miami Vice. If you haven't seen it, go to it. Brilliant. Miami Vice, we should do a show Captain, on that Captain Real Estate. Captain Real Estate. Miami Vice, like the first time I saw it, I just liked it because the clothing, you know. But I watched it again many, many years later. And it, it, that's a great political show. Like great, great analysis of the drug war and everybody's corrupt. And, and you got love Latin America, Central America, yeah, CIA yeah, yeah. wars. That, the, well, the Stones War episode on Central America, Nicaragua and El Salvador was brilliant. It was as good as anything that the mainstream media did. And you gotta love the wardrobe. You just have to. You yeah. Know? And you gotta you gotta love the the music, the overlay oh, yeah, like yeah. Phil oh, Collins yeah. and the well, giants that, of that the giants show, of the eighties. That show featured Jackson Brown's Lives in the Balance, which is like chilling. The first time I ever heard that show, it opens with a pan flute and everything like that. But we digest. Um <laughs> thank you. You can see we're we're in the Easter mood already. It's yep. it's you know, we're it's we're, celebratory. Resur- we're resurrecting fun. On, yeah. on on podcast small yeah. we're small podcasts we're we're scrappy podcasts taking on big podcasts we thank you as always and ask you to to please share these things and like them and rate and review we've we've got some great reviews on apple we could use a few more it's been a while and youtube subscribe you know how those algorithms work uh, it's like rich people the the more money you get the more money you have the more money you get so those algorithms you know the more people who listen then they'll go out and promote it and everything else uh like that so you gotta have uh, money to make money so you gotta have yeah. likes to to get more likes yep mo money mo problems not in this case right yep uh anyway so thank you and 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 share and do all that kind of stuff and you can see i think this is gonna be a fun show today i think we're gonna have yep. some, we're, gonna have we're, some we're feeling pretty punchy today yeah, I think and so. and then also speaking of money also want to thank all of our donors and we have a new patron this week and we want to thank the new patron who uh, we, I believe is, is uh, one of our supporters after we've been talking about the, the Texas Colin College scandal and all the bullshit uh, associated with that. Uh, but if you want to become a patron and join the mighty M19 Brigade, please go to our patron page, patreon.com backslash green red podcast. 
and join the M19 Brigade. And it's a small but might small and mighty and growing uh, group of people who keep the Green and Red podcast uh, the high quality and the standards in which you have come to expect. And then also, if you don't want to become a patron and you don't want to become a recurring donor, you can go to our website and make a one-time donation. Just hit the support button. Uh, and our website is greenandredpodcast.org. And so please support us, like, share, donate if you, if you have a few extra bucks a month. Uh, and we much, much appreciate all of y'all. Y'all are, some, y'all are solid fans. And then today, uh, we are, we, we, on the Green and Red podcast, we have a couple of different recurring themes, uh, particularly when we do our, our uh, stand, what I call standalone episodes without, where we don't have guests and we're not doing an interview. And so today we're going to be continuing with our ongoing theme of uh, a critique of corporate liberalism, of the state, of how the ruling class, there are cracks within the ruling class, how it, they play against each other, and then how all this is playing out in the current politics of the moment, I guess you could say. And so we're going to actually talk a bit about uh, the, the theme. It's going to be around corporate liberalism and then also the, the voting rights issues going on in Georgia and other states. And so we're pretty excited to talk about this today. That was a long, much more long-winded intro than I expected or that we usually do. So hopefully you all enjoy it. Well, no, it's and it's but this is important stuff, and and we have stressed that we've done actually quite a bit on this, and and I think the last time we did this, I said maybe this will be our last show, and you said, oh no, it won't be. And I was like, you're right. Um, yeah, I think the the voting rights, uh, this new these new Jim vote, Jim Crow voting restrictions in Georgia, which are just brutal. Um, what we've seen come out of it in the last few days, really, especially, is a really heavy, hardcore criticism. I'm obviously from the usual suspects, but from again, corporate America. And this is something that, that I stress all the time. And even corporate Georgia at this point, in corporate Georgia, well, especially corporate Georgia, right? Uh, Delta, Coca-Cola, CNN, uh, CNN corporations that are based there. Right. And, and this is something I've studied pretty much my entire academic career because, you know, we have this sense, I think people on the left, especially that there's this monolithic capitalism that they're a capitalist and they're all the same and they all look like Montgomery Burns and act like Montgomery Burns. Okay, again, that our, every disclaimer, every show we make this disclaimer, these guys aren't our friends. They're, they're not, you know, they're not the good guys, but there are different types of capitalism and there are always fissures or fractures or cracks, whatever you want to call it. And they act differently. And there is, there absolutely is a progressive or a liberal form of capitalism which, you know, was really kind of thrown aside back in the 70s. Jimmy Carter really started the acceleration against it toward this neoliberalism. And then obviously you have like the, the Democratic Leadership Conference with Clinton and Gore and the, the horrific Obama years where he just took care of Wall Street. And what we're seeing now is something of a return <clears throat> to some of the older kind of corporate liberal ideas. And, and that's mainly because <laughs> the crisis in America you know, Joe Biden is getting, you know, all kinds of flowers and praise. He's the new FDR and all this and that kind of stuff. I do believe Biden is different than Obama and, and Clinton. You know, he's a Delaware, Syracuse kind of guy, Scranton kind of guy, you know, lunch pail Joe and all that bullshit. But the reality is conditions, just like conditions forced FDR to do what he did, conditions are, are creating openings 
and that's why you just saw this really big stimulus program that they did not back down on, unlike Obama. You have plans for a, a, a fairly big infrastructure program and voting rights acts and minimum wage laws and all this kind of stuff. They're talking about it. We'll see what happens, climate change, you know. And so within that context, I think, you know, that's that's where we're coming from again, that the ruling class is is divided. It has different interests. And um, and remember, Scott, when you talked about the, the Tom Ferguson analysis of this, what is the key to, to the ruling class? What's the most important thing? Obviously, profits. But how does it create the conditions for that? What does it need? Stability. Stability. Right. Stability. Also an ongoing theme that we talk about on the Green and Red podcast. Right. Corporate, and corporations want instability and and clearly and we saw that in in two or three of the shows we did and a lot of stuff i've written much of which has been reproduced by people from new york who've gotten great credit for it even though we did it what six eight months earlier right but i'm not bitter or angry or Sicilian they, they or somehow like left that. us out of their fucking footnotes frankly so. yeah not even <laughs> a thank you and you know being uh being the mature person i am i put that on social media and tag them and there's no response so it's so unlike you know, uh, uppity white bread New Yorkers to ignore you, right? So anyway, um, like it's like we said, it's it's we're having fun today because it's it's we're, Resurrection Day. Yeah. We're scrappy. We're scrappy. Yeah. I'm resurrecting my anger at, at, at Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's that so, happens on the that happens a little bit more frequently than annually. <laughs> I want to. We'll I want to start with two two kind of observations or, or or statements, right? And the first came comes from the CEO of Delta Airlines, based in Atlanta, Ed Bastian, and he sent a memo out to the entire corporation, to corporate, to every all employees, right? Ed Bastian, the Delta colleagues worldwide, and it's titled "Your Right to Vote." And he says, two weeks ago, we honored Ambassador Andrew Young. We named a building on our campus after him, and and then he says, you know, we were always concerned about the vote. We worked to get the worst parts of the, the voting reform, the Jim Crow voting reform taken out. But then he says, and this is the, the kind of money quote. However, I need to make it crystal clear that the final bill is unacceptable and does not match Delta's values. The right to vote is sacred. It's fundamental to our democracy. And those rights not only need to be protected, but easily facilitated in a safe and secure manner. And he points out that after having time to fully understand the bill, and discuss leader discuss it with leaders and employers in the black community. They have made this strong statement. Um, and then just yesterday, a Dallas corporation, Fort Worth corporation, uh, because Texas is is putting uh, tr restrictions on voting in that are as onerous as as Georgia's, uh, especially. And these are directed at Houston and Harris County. The commissioner of Harris County, Lena Hidalgo, who I think is actually the most impressive elected official in America, far more than the squad. Um, really kind of opened up voting, you know, opened up like, uh, you know, drive through voting and uh, the convention center and things like that. So they're putting restrictions in. And the CEO of American Airlines said, uh, to make America's stance clear, we are strongly opposed to this bill and others like it. All right. And so I wanted to start with that because I think it's important. They're obviously not the only people opposed to this bill. The Democrats are opposed to it. Liberals are opposed to it. Taxly, the vast majority of Americans, if you look at polling, are opposed to it. A significant number of Republicans are opposed to it. Everybody understands, you know, despite the, the, the rhetoric that even the GOP knows is bullshit, that, that it's a suppression tactic, right? Because they lost the last election. And they've, they've been clear. I mean, they don't hide it. They've said, look, if, 
if it continues like this, we'll never win another election, right? They understand the reality of demographics. And, and just a, a couple of quick things about this Georgia law, just to like expand on it a little bit is one, it's, it's, it's very clearly targeting the African-American community, which mobilized particularly in 2020 to lose Trump, Georgia, to get to, to get Warnock and Ossoff elected in Georgia. So it's a lot of voter ID stuff. It's a lot of uh, uh, polling spot st stuff, et cetera. And then the other thing, which is like been the sort of egregious thing, which the media is really hooked on upon is it's made things like giving people food and water, why they wait in line for to vote illegal. Like just, just think about that, giving someone food and water in, in a hotline, potentially hotline after standing there for hours is illegal. They've criminalized that they've criminalized essentially what we've been called mutual aid for the last year. And yeah. So, except how many cities have ordinances against the homeless and food, not bombs like yeah, that? That's so, true. That's democratic, true too. democratic cities. So yeah, not to be an ass, but, but yeah. I am. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then the other, the other part here is that a number of other red States, MAGA States have all basically been trying to bring about similar few like Iowa. bills. Yeah, I was done. Did that I think first actually, and and Florida and Florida's, yeah, and and the, okay. So the point here is there is resistance, obviously, right? But and and you know, I I might miss. You know, obviously, I I I read a lot of news. I spent a lot of day just reading stuff from following stuff from all over. So this could have happened. I could have missed it. But my impression is that this occurred with minimal, kind of direct protest or direct action. And, and everybody knew this was coming. In Georgia, it's been happening for years. I mean, 2020 was kind of a perfect storm for the Democratic Party. And Stacey Abrams became a, a, a national hero, a national icon for it. Biden won. And then in two runoffs, the Democrats took two Senate seats. And the, uh, the governor and, and Secretary of State, Kemp and Raffensperger, couldn't swing the election to Trump. Now, the fact that these guys know how you don't really rig an election on election day. You do it this way. This is how you rig an election. This is how elections are won through fraud. You suppress votes ahead of time. And if Kemp and Raffensperger could not swing an election to Trump, it can't be done because no one has suppressed and rigged and defrauded voters like the Georgia Republican Party has. Yep. You know, and this has been going on for years now. There was, and Trump kept talking about a consent decree and all this. That wasn't true. Basically, what was it uh, in 2020? The GOP basically said, yeah, we'll mail out absent. I mean, it was some very minimal thing that Trump latched on in, in Georgia. Yeah. Basically, Stacey Abrams. And, and it plays into Trump's theme about fraud, the, the real fraud, fraud mail fraud, yeah. which was complete bullshit. Yeah. And I mean, and, 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 and look at the Georgia Republican Party, the people who are now doing this four months ago were being like, you know, liberals were swooning over them for standing up to Trump. And, you know, I said I respected them for standing up to him, but it was, you know, that's how bad Georgia was that they could not, you know, these guys couldn't steal an election for him. Right. Um, but this has occurred throughout this. And, 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 and so the Democrats had this kind of perfect storm. They had good turnout and then Trump really monkey wrenched the, the two uh, runoffs. He, those are on him. And I suspect Kemp and Raffensperger hate Trump as much as the rest of the Republican Party hates Matt Gates. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but this seems, and I could be wrong, to have been done basically through the political process. 
registering people to vote, you know, running voter drives and all the kind of stuff that you're supposed to do. Great. Stacey Abrams is a politician and, and, and a good one. Right. I don't think she's an activist. And if and, you know, if I'm wrong, I'll I'll, you know, retract my views, my 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 words. But I didn't see stuff like that going on. And so these comparisons to Georgia and the civil rights movement, I think, are really over overwrought because Martin Luther King was always in the streets. Martin Luther King was doing sit-ins. Martin Luther King was doing boycotts. Martin Luther King was going to offices. He was going to, to county buildings. He was going to corporations. I didn't see any of that happening in Georgia. And after January 6th, you knew what was coming. I mean, they, they, it's not even like you had to have any kind of like sense. They, they, they telegraphed it, right? And I could be wrong, and you, you may follow this more than me. I didn't see anything even in, in the period from January 7th to when the vote occurred you know, last week. And, and yeah, I mean, one, one thing I'll say is that we're, we actually, at this point, there, there are street movements around these issues. I mean, I would say that uh, Dr. Barber's Moral Mondays and et cetera. Um, we've not seen the street movement on this, at least from also my view is it, it's not reached the scale and proportion that we've seen on other things, like on Black Lives Matter, right? Like, like Derek Chauvin's on trial right now. And if, if that goes sideways in any way, there's going to be huge people, huge numbers of people in the street. I, I'm, it, I have seen evidence of, you know, people when, when Delta was being, trying to be neutral on this, people went and protested at the Atlanta yeah. airport and that's what, and people were calling for a boycott of Delta on Twitter and things like that. And that's what began to, that's what turned around the CEO, what's his name? Bastion. Yeah. Um, pretty quickly. Uh, and cause they're a global corporation. And if like large numbers of people in around the world begin to say, I'm not going to fly Delta cause they're in Georgia and they let this, you know, oppressive racist do all this shit, then fuck them. I'm going to fly American airlines. Oh wait, they're in Texas. Now I'm going to fly Con uh, United. <laughs> they're in Chicago. Oh no, they're yeah. Chicago now. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and, and so, that, but, 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 but there has been a, a, some strategic street action, yeah. but it's not been the sort of masses in the streets like, yeah, you uh, may have seen, like we saw in the fifties and sixties in the in the street era of the civil rights movement. Yeah, Stacey Abrams seems to fit more into this profile of what the NAACP was doing, which was fighting laws less of a street organizer yeah she's she's a politician and and to go back and to be be clear we're talking about these corporations this began when two african-american executives kenneth chenault who is the former chief executive of american express and kenneth frazier who's the ceo of merck put together a, a, a group letter signed by 72 black business owners and this got the ball rolling. So it did originate uh, among these, these in the African-American community. The, the larger point here, and this is one that we've talked about very, you know, very frequently, which goes back to this kind of old progressive area. It was a new left idea about corporate liberalism. And it argued that reform, counter to the romantic notions that we have of the people, reform actually generally occurs at the top. And it occurs when there's a convergence, a coincidence of, of interests. And I think that's what I'm trying to, to say here is that you had a lot of people who are saying this, this law is horrific, it's Jim Crow, but they're not doing anything terribly aggressive or vigorous about it. And so into that gap steps a bunch of corporate leaders. Now, and what you just said about airlines is crucially important because these are global corporations. 
these aren't just like, they're not just flying people around Georgia or even the Southeast or whatever. They're flying people to Europe and they're flying, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's a bad look. And, you know, you don't want to lose consumers. This is something, you know, I think there's an economic interest in everything. And people tend to, to, you know, ignore that for these, like, like the Cold War, right? Well, civil rights, you know, Cold War caused civil rights to be done because people didn't want to be ashamed when compared to the Soviet Union. Yeah, but I keep going back to what I call the Pete Campbell doctrine. There's a big market out there. And African-Americans constitute a big market. And, and I think these CEOs understood, you know, that they could leverage that. And, and it's, so far, it's worked well in terms of the public display of resistance from corporations. It's worked well. What we're seeing, I think, is, is a larger display of, of public resistance from these corporate leaders than from a lot of the Democrats and people in the streets. And that's a theme we've talked about a lot, too, just last night on our phone call. Remember, we were talking about how from November 3rd for the next 11 weeks, Trump controlled the narrative, Right. Yeah. And, and who stood up to him? And who stood up to him in that 11-week gap? Uh, Ratzenberger and Kemp. And Wall Street Journal. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah, The yeah, National yeah. Association of Manufacturers and Jamie Dimon. And yeah. there was an absence of, of active street resistance, even really Democratic Party resistance in that period. The basic idea, you know, Biden, as soon as he knew he won, it's like, well, I'm just going to let it go and ignore it. Well, what they did was give Trump 11 weeks and that's why his batshit election steal thing took on such power, because there was no one. The media actually did a pretty good job saying it, it wasn't a fair. No, it was a fair election. He lost. But right. the Democratic Party let it go. People but, weren't in the streets. They called off all of those protests that they were getting ready to, to, to stage. Mm-hmm. And Trump had 11 weeks all by himself. And his Twitter account. And his Twitter account. Yeah, I mean, people... I, People were in the streets, but it was in this in a much smaller way than what had been planned. Like 200, 200 organizations, large organizations, which could have really mobilized like significant people into the streets, basically had the the pause button hit on them by the Biden campaign and by the Democratic Party. And and so then it's more just the scrappy radicals painting yeah. street murals in front of Trump's law firm and doing home demos at Twitter execs and Josh Hawley's house and et cetera. But, but it wasn't yeah. the, it wasn't the 25 million people that we saw yeah. on the streets after the murder of George Floyd. And, and those scrappy actions don't get as much coverage and don't get the same positive coverage, you know, no. that, that, that the, you know, to, no. but, and so, and, but what you saw after the election was a continuation of this theme. I just have a few things here. And 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 what I'm seeing is kind of a reemergence to some degree of corporate liberalism rather than just kind of corporate neoliberalism. Mm-hmm. Corporations are woke, right? They're in favor of Black Lives Matter. They're in favor of LGBTQ rights. A, a, a few years ago, when North Carolina passed a very restrictive um, LGBT, I don't know, was it a bathroom bill? I think, and a bunch of corporations boycotted and and, and got it scrapped. But on March 2nd, just a few weeks ago, the Wall Street Journal wrote an editorial saying it's time for the GOP to move on from Trump. And it said if CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Committee, uh, which still loves Trump, if CPAC represented America, Mr. Trump would still reside in the White House, not Mar-a-Lago. So the Wall Street Journal turned on Trump, remember, on, on January 6th. And then it called for his resignation. And corporations were calling for resignation of the 25th Amendment to be invoked, right? His final acting Secretary of Defense, Chris Miller, 
who probably withheld the National Guard that day, right? I mean, this is the guy that got rid of because Esper was wasn't on the on on the. He, he at least you know didn't take the call. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he 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 had something else to do. He had a dental appointment, right? Something like that. But he made a speech. Probably a haircut. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he made a speech where he said Trump alone does you know should be resp- held responsible for um, for the riots on January sixth. Tom Cotton, who is a uh, uh, clearly going to be a presidential candidate, he's already started going to Iowa and New Hampshire, attacked the Chamber of Commerce now. And this is the same thing Marco Rubio did with with Amazon. We talked about that with Mike Elk last week. Tom Cotton went after the Chamber of Commerce. Now, the Chamber of Commerce is the most reliably conservative business organization you're going to find, them, the NAM, the Business Roundtable. And, and, and the Chamber of Commerce was critical of Trump and is critical of some of these laws. And Cotton said uh, the Chamber of Commerce was nothing but a front service for woke corporations. Marco Rubio supported the Amazon uh, union efforts, allegedly because Amazon was too woke, right? So these corporations are still, you know, like fighting against Trumpism. Uh, There was a, there's this group puts out what they call a measure of CEO confidence. And it had gone up right after Biden's election in the final quarter last year, it went up and it was up 17% in the first quarter of 2021. Look at the stock market. Wall Street is happy. They're, they're salivating over an infrastructure bill because of all the money that'll be out there. 68% 68% of CEOs said conditions had improved in the last six months. And a lot of that has to do with vaccines, but also because Trump's gone and Biden is now president. And 82% expected continued improvement in the economy in 2021. So this the, the ruling class is on board and, and they've created opportunities. It's better, you know, these aren't the good guys, right? Let's let's make that clear. But it's clearly better for people who are working, you know, the good guy, the real good guys, to to be able to to have a ruling class that is not so firmly stuck in concrete against you, like the Trump people and Mitch McConnell are, right? I mean, it it's nice to have a million people sign a move on petition, but a million move on signatures do not equal one Jamie Dimon or one. Uh, Ed Bastian or one Arthur Blank. Arthur Blank also spoke out. He is the uh, owner of the Atlanta Falcons. I think he used to be like a uh, a big shareholder or maybe the CEO of of uh, Home Depot, but I could be wrong about that. Blank was a big Trump donor, early Trump donor, big Trump donor. Finally broke with him after uh, after the election. You know, in the run up when Trump was claiming the election was stolen, and Blank turned on Trump then stability right and uh after after the vote the the jim crow vote in in georgia uh blank said every voice and every vote matters and should be heard through our democratic process in georgia the right to vote is simply sacred we should be working to make voting easier not harder for every eligible citizen to that end our leadership along with our nonprofit partners convey that idea ideal directly to state officials in recent weeks our businesses and family foundation will continue to actively support efforts that advance voting access for the citizens of Georgia and across the nation. All right. Blank is, you know, blank is, is no liberal. I mean, blank is pretty kind of is Montgomery Burns, you know, uh, and, total, and total reactionary. Yeah. Yeah. And so 
again, what we're seeing is, is in the absence of some kind of, I don't know what you'd call it, a street resistance. Uh, 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 I mean, what, I don't know what, you, you know what I'm trying to say here, like in the absence of the kind, or even like the kind of resistance you know, on the civil rights era, right? Where people were in the streets, where people were doing these like direct actions, nonviolent direct actions, the kind of your, your ball game. Yeah, I mean, I, I, what I would say is, to to me, in, in a lot of ways, this is the the sort of the the at least the current outcome of the of the liberal nonprofit industrial complex is that you know you actually talked about a million signatures on a move on petition is you know fifty years ago, sixty years ago, and and I'm even talking about radicals and street radicals and any capitalists because those people are on the streets or those people are in the backcountry fighting pipelines or deforestation or they're doing mutual aid in the streets in communities. And we talk about, we've talked about that a lot in the show. And that's, that's where the, I would say the radical street movements are, are playing out is just, it's not the huge numbers that we see like a million signatures on a move on petition. And all of those people who were in the streets, civil rights era, or even, even more recently, we could talk about the anti-war movement 15, 16, 17 years ago, before we really saw this sort of nonprofit kind of, online organizing phenomenon take place now what people do and they feel like this is where they're getting their activism is they sign a petition or they retweet something that the move on or indivisible has like sent them and 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 so that's the calculation and and to me always the nonprofit industrial complex has always played this buffer role for the state and for the corporations to protect them from real radical movements and and what it does is it de-radicalizes movements and it keeps the radical movements that do exist small and marginalized. And so the re one of the reasons that we're not seeing large numbers of people really hitting the streets at this point is because of this structure that the nonprofits have like created in the last 10 or 15 years. Um, I'll also say that from time to time, these liberal nonprofits and the nonprofit industrial complex will say, let's get people in the streets. And then they'll have a 30 minute video on how to do that. And then you go and stand and hold a sign somewhere and there's no creativity. Uh, it's it's all very managed and choreographed. And, and so it's just a sort of really sort of important thing to kind of keep in mind is we're in an era where movements have been de-radicalized by this more so than ever before. And, and, you know, corporations give a lot of money to those organizations and whether they're wealthy independent donors or whether it's actually corporate giving programs to those groups. And so it's just like, it's just an important thing to keep in mind. And so for people, for our small, but mighty and growing audience, be part of the radical, the, the radical minority and help make it a radical majority. Don't waste your time signing move on petitions. We're big on on um, movement and, and action politics, unlike certain journals in uh, in Brooklyn that rhyme with Bacobin or something like that. You know, Smackabin. Smackabin. <laughs> That's a better one, right? And, and you know, if you're interested in this, and we've talked about this before, this whole theme, which I refer to as corporate liberalism, uh, comes from a body of of scholarship that emerged. In like the late 1950s, early 1960s, we referred to as the new left. We did a show on the new left. We have another one coming up soon, actually, hopefully, 
Um, we've done, we've done a couple of shows. We've done a couple of shows. And, and the person yeah. I would always recommend to read on this is, is Gabriel Colco. It's a very old book, but I still think it's, it's awesome and it's outstanding called The Triumph of Conservatism which is about the progressive era. And he shows how progressive reform actually came from the top down. And there's other stuff on that. And if you look, and that's the way now I look at things, as soon as something's happening, I think, okay, who's in favor of this? You know, um, and so that, that's what we're talking about here, this kind of idea of corporate oriented reform. And it's generally done in the, in, in, in the interest, obviously of stability and uh, to increase consumption. These are consumptive policies, right? We don't want to alienate consumers, African-Americans, the, the Pete Campbell doctrine. There's a lot of people out there. We don't want to alienate them. As for the part about being in the streets, I think we saw that last summer where last summer wasn't move on petitions and, and, and that kind of stuff. There were people out there throwing down and say what you want. And it may be transient. It may have been co-opted. It may have been commodified, but shit got done. I mean, you know, Derek, I'm not sure Derek Chauvin would be on trial. Well, he'd probably be on trial, but it would be for, you know, like manslaughter or something like that. Police all over the country have been getting fired. Uh, when, a, when some Karen videotapes a guy, you know, bird watching, she gets in trouble. Um, Police departments are losing significant parts of their budgets. In yeah, some, there, there has the been some, some decrease in, in funding. Austin, so Austin and Seattle. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, in Austin, two poli a police just got uh, a policeman just got uh, indicted in, uh, and we're calling colleges in Collin County. Seven police were just fired because the guy they took into custody died. I'm, hopefully there'll be charges. So, you know, we're not Pollyanna ish, but, but the point is those three actions got stuff done some of it was symbolic getting rid of confederate statues and things like that but there was some real stuff done too and corporations have now set aside literally hundreds of billions of dollars for african-american diversity now that's capitalist diversity let's be clear on that they're not going to be funding fred hampton scholarships you know they're not going to be paying for cornell west to come in to do a, a sensitivity training uh you know from uh with ken dorfman and uh, sensitivity trainers of cleveland inc or something like that right but more for the robin d'angelo's of the world yeah right oh they're yeah she's making bank yeah well, we need to write some kind of a, a a book like that making uh white liberals feel guilty and sending us money right so last summer i think proved that we're not seeing that now so in the absence of these kinds of actions, corporate resistance becomes more important, right? Now, I'm not here to hail these people or laud them or, or, or heroicize them. They're not. They're, they're Montgomery Burns. This is who we're talking about here. But they're doing things that we need to, to, to do, do, right? And just to kind of, you know, rather than beat a dead horse, let me just give you a couple more examples. Um, another one from an Atlanta corporation, big one, biggest in the world. Isn't it the most recognizable brand in the world? Maybe it's Apple now, but it's Coca-Cola. And Google's up there too. I was yeah. just thinking about that earlier today. But but I still I still would have to be Coca-Cola. I would think, right? It's it's definitely up there. I, yeah. I would. I wouldn't. I would not argue against it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the uh, the CEO of Coca-Cola, James Quincy, said, "I want to be crystal clear." The Coca-Cola company does not support this legislation as it makes it harder for people to vote not easier. And he called on Congress to take national action and step in. There is a vote. Uh, it's passed the House already, right? The Voting the Voting Rights Act. 
Yeah, it's headed. It's in the Senate. Yeah, it's right. headed the Senate, and there's a debate over whether they can. You know, this is like kind of the key to the filibuster debate, but it's really about Joe Manchin. You know, uh, which I don't understand because if if you're a Democrat, you know, like making it easier to vote should, you know, it's kind of should be a, kind of a no brainer, even for Manchin. But um, at any rate, so uh, uh, the CEO of Coca Cola came out. Uh, in favor of it, Citibank, which is one of the biggest banks in the in the in the entire world, uh, the um, Mark Mason, who's the chief financial officer, said, "As an American, I'm appalled by the recent voter suppression laws passed in Georgia. I see it as a disgrace that uh, our country's efforts to keep Black Americans from uh, engaging fully in our constitutional right to vote continue to this day." The head of global affairs, again, keep in mind, this is a global movement. So that means people in Germany and Italy and France and Africa, which was crucial in the civil rights movement, are aware of this, right? And so, like you said, if you're going to take a trip, if you're a tourist, let's say you want, you're want you in Greece or you're in Italy, and you say, hey, I'm going to come to the United States. Well, I'm not taking United. I'm not flying Delta. I mean, I'm not flying American, right? So Edward Schuyler from City said, uh, the right to vote is a foundation of American democracy. City not only supports the fundamental right, we have taken steps to encourage our colleagues to vote, such as providing paid time off for the 2020 elections. We strongly oppose efforts to undermine the ability of Americans to avail themselves to this fundamental right. Is this performative? Absolutely. Is it uh, a commodification of an important political issue? Oh, of course it is. Is it co-optative? Co-optive? Yeah, absolutely. Is it important? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. You know, one thing in uh, from my day job, I spend a lot of time talking about anti-corporate campaigning with activists out in the world. And one of the key points that I always talk about for these companies is that their profit margin is very much tied to their brand. And so particularly for Delta and Coke, I'm going to say what I'm about yeah. to say applies, is that when their brand takes a hit, that's when they see a market share drop. And that's why they freak out. Freak out. I, I actually pretty sure that's why the CEO of Delta came back after he'd gotten criticized for not doing enough in speaking out against this bill. Why he came out and said what he did as strongly as he did. Yeah. In, in personal experience, as someone who's worked on issues, particularly around death squads in Colombia and things like that, Coca-Cola is one of the most brand sensitive companies in the world as well. The only other one I've seen more brand sensitive in the world is Disney. And, uh, and, and so... Coca-Cola, if they feel like their brand is under attack, they they have, I promise you, they have units within Coca-Cola that are PR teams that rapid response, crisis crisis management, all that sort of stuff has been going. It's been going like that the last since probably January seventh or whatever. Well, and and, and you know, uh, about a month ago, we did the show with Jamie Hen, who talked about going after advertisers. Who who ad, ad men who work for Mad Men who work for uh, uh, fossil fuel companies and it's the same thing right you don't have to fly United I mean there's a bunch of airlines out there I don't have to fly you know I don't have to drink Coca Cola you know I can drink yeah. Pepsi I can drink RC whatever you know? so yeah they they definitely understand this is this isn't I mean some of these guys you know diversity is a weird topic we should do a show on that sometime they believe in corporate diversity. Not in like minimum wage, you know, increase diversity, not in like diversity for poor people to get more money, but they definitely believe in that. You know, they're committed to it. They're committed to LGBTQ, you know, equality, 
and, and you know, so they they believe in that woke corporate ideal. I mean, so Tom Cotton and Mark Ruby aren't wrong. Back to this idea of stability, which I, I feel like is part of why they've responded the way they have, and particularly the last two years of the Trump administration. Is Trump destabilized a lot of things, and the ruling class was really thrown by that. They were they were really happy when McConnell and Trump signed off on that that corporate tax bill. But in, 20, in 2011, when people were banging on their doors at Occupy Wall Street, they, they were still able to marginalize them. But the movement has built and grew to the point when the George Floyd stuff happened, they saw major destabilization going on. Trump completely facilitated that and made it worse, And which is why I think they're, they have moved away from corporate neoliberalism and moved back towards corporate reform, corporate liberalism, to and, and are commodifying I watched a Hulu ad that was from Hulu and ABC the other night, and it was about how people need to get into the streets and take action on Black Lives Matter, right? I believe Hulu is actually, at one point, the CEO was one of the a Trump supporter. Probably, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, these guys are not reckless. I mean, my, the mind Michael and Dow, but, you know, the, the what, what do I call them? The, um, the lump and oligarchs, right? Um, but these guys aren't reckless. So if they're doing this, they're they're not doing it out of the goodness of their hearts. They're doing it because they they have studied this analytically in depth and say, okay, this is a business. This is a business decision. It's a business model. A calculation. It's a calculation. Voting rights for African Americans is a good idea. First of all, huge numbers of Americans. I mean, you know, when people say, oh, it's 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 only fifty six. Like fifty six to forty is a big margin. But in voting, these voting rights are like in 60, over 60% of Americans, it's like 60, 30 something. So it's not a hard political decision to make, right? And they're aware of that. And they also know it, you know, there's no, there's no real downside to it. Kemp and, and the CEO of Delta, Bastion and Kemp briefly got in a public pissing match and the Georgia uh, legislature threatened to revoke some kind of tax breaks that Delta had. And they, they, they backed down. If it comes to that, if there be, if there were to be, an open political brawl between Kemp and the, the Georgia Republicans against Unite or Delta Airlines and Coca-Cola, you know who's going to win that one, you know, because you can, you, there's Brian Kemp's all over Georgia. You can replace him easily. And Stacey Kemp is no Bolshevik, despite the way the left lionizes her. She ain't Emma Goldman. Stacey Abrams, not yeah. Stacey Kemp. <laughs> oh, Stacey, I'm sorry. I mean, if she becomes governor, I, I think Georgia would be exponentially better off. I hope she wins, you know, but, but she's not a threat to, to Delta and Coke and CNN and, and just, you know, the Atlanta Falcons. You know? just, a, just thinking about, this is mostly me just thinking out loud, thinking about the, the strategies of the ruling class. When Clinton was in and they were deregulating the financial industry and everything that came with neoliberalism and then we had Bush and Obama is their, their calculation was we're going to, we're going to milk this. We're going to let this neoliberalism push the middle class into lower middle class and working poor, et cetera. And then once social conditions become so that it's untenable, we're going to just go back. And, and that seems to be what we've seen over the last 25 years. The, it's economic and, and they economic, knew, and they, yeah. prob and they yeah. probably knew that was going to happen 25 years ago that eventually I mean, they would have to move back to this. You know, people like Jill Steiglitz and Paul Krugman are liberals, right? And they've been saying this. And people like that, Robert Reich, right? These guys are capitalists. They want to preserve capitalism. They're, these aren't socialists. Pickety, you know, these guys aren't trying, to, these aren't Marxists, right? 
they're, they're, they don't want capitalism destroyed. It's like FDR. FDR did what he did just to rescue. FDR came from a really wealthy family. John Kennedy came from a really wealthy family, right? Obama was a product of Chicago banking company, you know, Chicago banking leaders, right? So these guys, you know, are, aren't radicals. They're, they're, they want to preserve capitalism. And Kemp and Raffensperger, it's kind of funny, Raffensperger, who did one good deed in his life, is just getting shit all over for it. It's, it's hilarious, right? But I mean, these guys, you know, they're, they're exposable. You know, there are a million guys you can just replace like that, you know? Uh, so these guys aren't radicals. Kemp and Raffensperger, they can get rid of them and they can put other people in. One other thing, because I know we're getting close that I want to mention, because I think it is important, is that um, the Major League Baseball Players Association, the All-Star Game this year is supposed to be in Atlanta. Atlanta has a new stadium and built like, Atlanta has built like three new stadiums in the last like 25 years. They built the, uh, you know, they had the old Ted Turner field and then they built the, the one for the Olympics. That thing wasn't even like 20 years old and they tore it down. They just destroyed it. And there's a new stadium there now. And the Major League Baseball All-Star Game is supposed to be there. Big deal because they didn't even play one last year, right? And baseball's trying, you know, COVID and all that kind of stuff. So the Major League Baseball Players Association has raised this issue. And Joe Biden, again, the power of symbolism has basically backed it. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, there are all kinds of corporate uh, movements calling for boycotts of Georgia. A lot of there, isn't there a lot of um, film film work done in in Georgia? Like yeah, the, it's the film sector is really. I mean, it's, it's too expensive to film in California, and so places yeah. such as uh, Georgia and Western North Carolina have become very popular. Uh, honestly, The Walking Dead. <laughs> Is yeah. is I believe what started that phenomenon. So the, the Washington Dead is the, the the Republican Party today, right? <laughs> right, and it's and it's we're in the resurrection. It's the resurrection resurrection weekend. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> zombie and, time, right? It's, it's zombie time. But um, anyway, there's a lot going on there. It's a, it's a theme we've talked about. Uh, we're not trying to to tell you that these guys are heroic, but the point is. You know, we need to get in the streets. People need to do what we do. Obviously, the the Floyd, um, the the trial of Floyd's killer, Derek Chauvin, is is critical, right? I I do think he's going to be convicted just because I think everybody is aware of what the alternative will bring, right? Last summer won't will be, will, you know, won't be as bad. Would be like, you know, you know what I mean. This summer will be worse. But you know, you know at some what. Go ahead, I was just going to say, there's where Michael Brown was murdered by a policeman in 2014, and then the DA in Ferguson or St. Louis, wherever, decided not to indict the killer, uh, Darren Wilson. Yeah. And things blew up, right? And if anything, that was a moment which we've built upon, and it's even bigger, and that's why we saw 25 million people in the streets last summer. Yeah. And I mean, you know, at some point it is inevitable. It happens every day. A cop, a policeman's going to kill somebody. You know, a white cop is going to kill a, a non-white person, and you're going to the shit's going to hit the fan again. It's inevitable. I mean, I think a lot of these cops, especially these crazy cop union guys, may even try to do it to provoke a crisis, right? Um, because you know, the liberals are going to run away. You know, they every fucking day, Obama. You know, defund the police is a snappy slogan. They bitch and bitch and bitch about the phrase defund the police. But when these police do this multiple times all over the country every day they're they're silent right where's obama bitching about you know the other day they arrested a five-year-old kid 
and threatened him, a five-year-old. And these two cops are threatening this kid. If I was your mom, I'd beat you. You're in trouble now. The kid is crying and screaming. What a traumatic experience. These people are sociopathic, right? And so that's going to happen again. And it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Because last year, you know, people are all, you know, when the shit hit the fan, corporations were on the side of Black Lives Matter. You know, and I suspect they probably would be again, right? Um, so it's 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 interesting to play out. But this whole idea, keep in mind when something happens, look to see what the corporations are saying, see what these people are saying on Wall Street, these CEOs. They're they're not the good guys. They're not on our side. You know, it's let's you know, I don't want anybody, I've been accused of that before. This right? is this is them seeking stability so that they can continue their profit margins. They're they're liberals, they're they're liberals. You know, wealthy, wealth. Well, they, I mean, they're, they're Nancy. If you like Nancy Pelosi, then you might as well like Jamie Dimon. There's no difference. Yeah. If you like Schumer, then you might as well like Wall Street because that's who he takes care of. Right. What, what are they calling the senator from Citibank? Yeah, there's something like that. Right. Yeah. Gillibrand. Same thing. Right. So. So keep that. In Cory mind. Booker. Yeah. Also, just out of the blue, I want to remind people that Matt Gates is still in Congress, but Al Franken and Katie Hill aren't. That tells you a lot about the way the Democrats play hardball, too. Right. Um, but this Voting Rights Act, it's a big deal. It will be intriguing to see. And see, the problem here, too, with, you know, Stacey Abrams, I mean, essentially what she's banking on, and I don't know the politics of Georgia, is that um, Georgia actually is turning blue demographically and politically. And, and, and that is the one card they have. The ace, there is that the, they do have an ace, a whole card. And that's that, that what Biden's doing right now is really popular. He's soaring in the polls, big numbers, over 60% support him on like COVID and the economy and all these major issues. So, you know, it, should, it could just be, you know, you don't need to turn that many people. I mean, Trump got 74 million votes. Yeah. And Biden got 81. You flip, you know, you don't need to flip huge numbers to take, to, to, to win big. And so it could be that, you know, sending somebody a $1,400 check and creating infrastructure programs that create jobs and fix your bridges and send people, you know, with kids, $250 a month, that can flip, you know, you flip a few million, few million votes and, and a close election becomes a, a tidal wave. So they could be banking on that too. They just, the, the event, you know, like the political, event. I think they are banking on that. Actually. I think that's, that's their strategy. Lay low, don't cause any, you know, alarm and do, you know, this was kind of the Obama idea, but without fighting for it. And, and, and I think the, the Biden people, it is kind of fun if you've been following insider baseball, the Obama and, and uh, Biden people are fighting against each other, which is a lot of fun. You know, the, and, the, and uh, I, I got to admit, I, you know, not that I am a fan of either, but I am rooting for the Biden people in this one because I loathe Obama, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's interesting how Biden is following much more of a game plan that we may have expected from Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren versus the, the milk toast neoliberal let can't we all get along Obama types? Yeah. It, and it also, with the exception of something like Medicare for all, which is pretty, pretty radical. It also shows, you know, how Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders were really within the mainstream of American liberalism. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Because totally. this is, this is, this is what you're getting, right? This is what everybody was afraid of. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I didn't know we'd be doing another, uh, episode on this, but, um, this Georgia stuff and, and especially in the last week now, how it plays out, I don't know. I think, you know, obviously Abrams and, and people in Texas will file, will go to court. I mean, you know, the courts are controlled by the GOP, 
And if it gets to the Supreme Court, you know, you know, they've already ruled on it in 20, was it 2013? Roberts, yeah. you know, was the swing vote there. So, I mean, the, the courts, you know, maybe they'll throw out the you can't hand water thing, you know, something like that, you know, that they, you know. And I think actually in Georgia, there's even talk of, of changing that because it's just, you know, that's the thing about these people, their, their political skills, like why do something so stupid and unnecessarily cruel to call attention to yourselves, right? It's amazingly stupid. Well, I mean, you have a representative from Georgia showing people naked selfies on the House floor. Florida, this is, Florida. Florida, I'm sorry. This is not, well, Marjorie Taylor Greene may be doing it too with her <laughs> tantric guru, right? Yeah. This is not a brains type operation, no. right? Uh, uh, so, but, you know, I'm, I, I wouldn't count on the courts, you know. Uh, I don't know what the demographics of Georgia will mean going forward. Um, you know, they have two years until the governor's race to... You know, I mean, I guess, you know, you know, last resort is to actually do everything you can to get everybody out to vote. Yeah. But I mean, some of these some of these restrictions are weird. Like, you know, one of them is that people were making fun of it. Like you have to write down your your ID number on your um, your driver's license. You know, I'm I'm not that senile and old yet. I, I mock up stuff like that all the time. You yeah. know, these are little numbers. You're reading it. It's a long thing with letters and numbers in it. So, uh, you know, you need two forms of ID. You know, other, you know, I have a passport. A lot of people don't. So what's your yeah. other ID? You know, they're going to let you use your Chuck E. Cheese card, you know, something like that. So anyway, there's a lot to do. But uh, um, I think once again, this idea of corporate liberalism is important. Follow the ruling class. Look at what they do. Don't dismiss it as this homogenous, monolithic, capitalist blob. Some of the time they are... Um, they're going to be advocates of, of liberal reform of what you want, you know, are they going to change the world? No, they're on their side. No, but you know, and then you can count on the green and red podcast to be here talking about, we phrased it like this before from Arno Mayer, the forces of movement or the forces of movement and the forces of order. And that's the interplay that we're most yep. interested in. And sometimes the forces of movement are wall street. Sometimes there are people on the street, fighting Department of Homeland Security in the streets of Portland, what have you. And sometimes they converge. And, and you can also count on somebody from New York taking this idea and you'll hear it from them in a month. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's, their, it's our own personal forces of order within our own little left-wing yeah. media sphere. Yeah. Just to put it out there. Yeah. We, we are a scrap. We are the scrappy forces of movement. We are the scrappy of, of scrappy. Yeah. The forces of liberation. Right. The people's, the People's Republic podcast, you know, People's, yeah, ex- People's podcast, right? Exactly. Uh, so, folks, you have been listening to Bob and Scott talking about the ruling class, corporate Georgia, the forces of order in the state of Georgia, corporate liberalism, street movements, lots of other things. Uh, please, please, please share this on our social me- off of our social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, this will be a video on YouTube. So hit subscribe and share that. Listen on all of your favorite podcast audio listening platforms. And then if you want to give a donation, you can go to greenandredpodcast.org and hit the support button, or you can become a patron and join the M19 Brigade at patreon.com backslash greenredpodcast. Let's give it up for grassroots media crowdfunding and we will talk to you soon take care wear a mask socially distance get that vaccine 
and solidarity. Mm-hmm.